Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. What up, Fightful fam, and welcome to One Two Punch. Player one, Shaquille Madjoy. Player two, it's the fantastic Scott Fontana. Not Fantana for all you scrubs out there of the New York Post, New York Post Sports. Scott, how's it going, my man? It's going well, Shaq. How are you? I'm good. Uh, thank you for making the time today. I know we've been talking about this for a little while, and what better time to get you on board than UFC 261 triple headliner? Uh, how are you feeling about it? Hey, it's it's great. Honestly, I, I feel fortunate that it was this week because uh, you know I watched your show last week and I had no interest in <laughs> the Triller fight, and I wouldn't have been interested in talking about it. So I'm glad we have this one to talk about. Yeah, the thing with the the Jake Paul Ben Askren fight is I'm I, I, I've long been a proponent that like look I like a good filet mignon, but I'm down to pig out at McDonald's. But there's something as eating too much fast food, and I think in the aftermath of that Triller card. I've had my fix. I'm mostly just feeling ill at this point. So let's talk about some real fighting, some UFC. Let me hit that animated intro. Fancy, fancy stuff. Welcome, guys, uh, to One Two Punch. If you're a longtime viewer of the show, thank you, as always, for being here. If maybe you hopped over on the Scott Fontana bandwagon, let me tell you how this works. It's, it's news talk, but we operate on a win-lose-draw system. What that means is we're going to sign the week's biggest winners and losers before drawing up a preview for UFC 261. And, you know, hold your horses. When we say winners or losers, we're not trying to crap on anyone. They will beat the living crud out of us. Just to say whose stock went up, whose stock went down, it's all in good fun. If you can, please hit that subscribe button, tap the notification bell, leave a thumbs up on the video. All that goes such a long way to helping us do what we do. If you're feeling extra generous, a super chat donation really goes a long way. 
We do these for free before every pay-per-view, but if you want to hop on the bandwagon full-time, head over to FightfulSelect.com. That is our Patreon. Ton of pro wrestling coverage, plus this podcast every week. Scott, I am done shilling. Let's get to the action. First and foremost, we're going to get to UFC 261. I think it's going to dominate the conversation a bit, but this is one that I found just super amusing. A report comes out that Conor McGregor is planning on purchasing the pub he famously punched an old geezer in. What do you make of this move? Is this business or is this just someone with a lot of money flexing? Well, you know, I, I had thought it was an old geezer too. And then I, I read the story this week and apparently the guy's only 50 years old. So that makes me feel terrible for <laughs> everyone who's like, I thought he was really old too. But yeah. 58, that bad. Uh, I'm closer to that than I'd like to be. But yeah, it's <laughs> it's such a weird flex. Like, why? What what are you doing here? I know he's investing in businesses and things like that, but is this the one? Is this the look that we're going for? I don't know. Yes, sir. Sorry, I lost you there for one second. Um, insanity. It's it's so much it's so funny. And while he didn't explicitly state that that's true, he did put a tweet out there uh, retweeting the report and saying basically ye man's not permitted i i love this and to follow up with all these business moves he's potentially making in the football world as well soccer for those of you in north america it's amusing to see and this is this is the heel connor that i really like and we talked a little bit about it uh, surrounding the dustin poirier fight and the sort of good fight foundation kerfuffle what for you is optimal McGregor? Because there's like nice guy McGregor that's kind of down here for me. There's racist throwing dollies through buses, Connor that's here. And there's like a sweet spot where he's like brash and confident and a little mean, but it's kind of funny. Do you think we are getting back to sort of the pre-Jose Aldo Connor McGregor? I don't I don't know if it's going to last. I think he just puts on a hat at any given time and and realistically I think he's always who he is. I think even before the Aldo stuff there was a lot of playing a character kind of thing. I I think he's always playing a version of himself. But there's always truth in there and and I'll tell you the one thing I don't like is uh dancing around some racist comments, Connor, that is not what I appreciate in in my Connor McGregor. He's not my favorite personality to begin with but if i was to say a version of who i like best yeah it's probably that brash version that we had in the lead up to jose aldo that was at least more fun uh and and lately it's gotten just too screwy yeah i think i i hope we level out a little bit i think dustin poirier can be the right foil where you know he can get a little competitive in there he's a top fighter in the world but but not someone who's gonna pull too many uh, throw too many low blows Let's segue, but and I know that I said I didn't want to talk about the Paul brothers anymore, but there is an update. It was weird because Floyd Mayweather, 50-0 pro boxer versus Logan Paul, 0-1 pro boxer, without a doubt the lesser of the two Paul brothers in the boxing realm at least, were supposed to fight in an exhibition bout. It, it got sort of indefinitely postponed, and rumors were going around that the pre-sales weren't too strong, and perhaps that had something to do with it. That was always kind of odd to me because I don't think the, you know, there's a big discrepancy between fight fans who are purchasing the, you know, Paul cards and then Logan Paul, Jake Paul fans that are purchasing. And obviously as the media to some degree 
we're going to cover it and there's it's going to be talked about a lot but that's not where a lot of the money is being generated it's coming from that sort of younger youtube audience so i thought the pre-sales were never something to worry about pay-per-view is a day of business anyway but how much do you think the web traffic the online chatter the uh reported pay-per-view buys and just jake paul winning had to do with sort of accelerating this mayweather logan fight because we went from not having a date to suddenly having it come up on june 5th it had to have everything to do with it i mean the timing of it itself is is just such a strong indicator like we didn't hear about this last week we didn't hear about it two weeks ago we're hearing about it right now in the wake of all those things you just mentioned it's it's the time to strike i mean (laughs) jake paul and logan paul if if you're someone like me who actually doesn't really follow a lot of these YouTube personalities, I, I hear about them because it's you know my job now to get these guys who are in boxing. Uh, but I couldn't tell you what makes Jake Paul different from Logan Paul. It's just that's just kind of where I'm at. So if you want to take advantage of people who know even less than me and they just hear Paul brother, oh, that guy sounds like he's interesting to watch. You can kind of just get some rub that way. Yeah, and I think... For me, this is, and you're right, there's a lot of confusion. I think when I hear people outside of the bubble talk about it, they, they're still never sure who's Floyd fighting. Is it Jake Paul? Is it Logan Paul? Is it Jake Logan? Is it Logan Jake? There's a lot of confusion there. And so I think you're right. There's, to some degree, you can just kind of aggregate the Paul brothers together. With Ben Askren versus Jake Paul, there was a lot of, you know, even myself, originally I had been siding with Jake Paul. The closer we got to the fight, I sort of started leaning towards Ben Askren. We saw how big of a mistake that was. Possibly a really big, there's going to be a very big weight discrepancy between Logan Paul and Floyd Mayweather. But how relieved are you in a sense, if at all, to finally see a Paul brother? I know it's not Jake. Uh, but to see any Paul brother get in there with a legitimate boxer, and we're talking about not just a legitimate boxer, one of the greatest of all times, and one of the best, if not the best, defensive boxer of all time. Like, Logan Paul has no chance on earth, and aren't you kind of relieved to see that? I mean, I guess I am, you know, I'll I'll say that, because I, you know, in the lead-up to last week, I didn't watch, first off. I actually just kind of skipped it and just took, uh, you know, highlights end up on Twitter pretty soon after, so I saw what I needed. Uh, But I I just I am interested to see one of them just kind of take it and and just be done with it because Floyd yeah he's not going to lose like but also at the same time every time Floyd Mayweather has a fight and it's built up and it's hyped and everything like that it never ends up being that interesting to the average Mm-mm. boxing fan the one who just tunes in because it's a big one and they forget oh yeah Floyd Mayweather he's a defensive genius which isn't necessarily aesthetically pleasing now he could probably loosen up against logan paul just like he did against connor when everyone thought oh connor had a chance in that fight i think we all know what was happening there right i think there's a general cry from the mma community to just let that it's hard because you don't want to stifle a payday if you know ben askin wants to go make half a mil on a one two minute fight more power to him at the same time for people like you and i while you know we're not the ones getting in there so i don't think we should have as much of a say our opinions don't really matter in that sense. I, I hate that I have to now go this extra mile to defend MMA fighters from people who don't understand the difference between individual combat sports. If another UFC fighter is going to get in there with Jake Paul, who uh, thus far is at least shown to be capable to a certain degree, 
what caliber of UFC fighter will it take to actually beat Jake Paul? Because it's not the Ben Askrens of the world, but we know there's a big difference between MMA boxing and regular boxing. But in your mind, is like Tyron Woodley someone who's a good enough MMA boxer to beat someone like Jake Paul in a boxing match? I think it takes a veteran striker. It's just somebody who has been doing some form of boxing, even Thai boxing training for years. Because let's face it, Jake Paul is not an old man and he's still very young in his career. We can call it a career. He's, he's three and zero, right. And he's kind of at the same stage that a lot of prospect boxers are at, you know, they, they take fights against kind of, you know, cans, you know, young guys with, with losses and things like that. Uh, not usually Nate Robinson who's never put on gloves before, but it, it's the same kind of territory. So I think it really doesn't take much more than just someone who's been fighting mixed martial arts as a competent to, you know, solid striker for a while. Mm-hmm. That to me, I think Tyron Woodley certainly qualifies for that. Okay, fair enough. And to move on from this, thank goodness. I do want to touch on Jorge Masvidal uh, briefly. We're going to get to the UFC 261 stuff at the tail end. But smart businessman, he announces on Friday, right before the press conference, good timing on his part, that he and Anuel, I don't know if it's AA, double A, just ah, but him and Puerto Rican rapper, singer, and well are starting a MMA bare-knuckle fight promotion. First event's going to be held in Miami. I think it's on June 25th, if I'm not mistaken. And it will be a under the Game Bread Fighting Championships banner, if I'm not mistaken. I think that's what it's going by. I believe that's right. Weird, unexpected. It makes sense for Jorge Masvidal and his brand. I don't know the ins and outs of the business model, but it at least appears that BKFC has been a little bit of a sleeper hit. There seems to be enough of an audience for that. Do you think that something like Bare Knuckle MMA with Jorge at the helm and someone like Anuel, who's got a massive following, I think like 3 million followers on Twitter alone, do you think that's enough to make something sustainable here? I think it depends on the type of people they can bring in to actually feed that because at the very least bare knuckle has brought in some interesting characters from other sports. You know, they, they brought in Paulie Malinaji to go against Artem Lobov. And these are guys who've, you know, been characters or, you know, in some cases of Paulie Malinaji is a solid, you know, he had a solid career in the ring. Uh, Artem did well on the ultimate fighter and, you know, he quitted himself well enough in the UFC before leaving, but you know, you need the right guys and it's not just, Jorge being there at the top, you need the people in the cage, the people that people are going to watch. Uh, and it depends kind of where it's going to be. You're always going to find an audience. I think there's always going to be the people on Twitter who, you know, are very obsessed with MMA and they'll watch it in any way they can. But mm. can they expand from that? I think they need more people to bring more eyeballs from bigger outlets. You know what I mean? I agree. And I, I do think it probably helps to have someone like Jorge involved, who has a lot of connections in the fight game, is part of a big camp in American Top Team, where you can perhaps draw some of that. I, I, I do wonder where... Do, do you think there's an appetite for this from like a coach's perspective? Like, Do you think a... Let's say someone at American Top Team, uh, Dan Lambert, for example, do you think he'll want to get his up-and-coming fighters involved in something like bare-knuckle MMA? Is there a degree of, you know, there's still some degree of a freak show element to it. I know that BKFC is kind of legitimizing themselves. They have likes of Paige Van Zandt, Pearl Gonzalez, who, although may not be 
super high tier like UFC fighters, they don't have this reputation as that bare knuckle is originally sort of associated with, you know, like old veterans, bloody, tough men. Like they at least are involving fighters who stray away from the stereotype of what bare knuckle is. Do you think there's going to be an interest from legitimate fight camps to get involved with something like this? Well, the one thing that jumps to mind is it probably is a better way to get young fighters exposed, like fighters who are not at those levels that we're already hearing about. It, it It's kind of a fast track to getting some, especially if you can get on that first card, you, you'll get at least a little bit more attention there than you would on, you know, probably even a, a cage fury card as much as cage fury puts on nice fights in the, in the, uh, in my, I'm in, I'm in New Jersey. So, you know, this kind of our region yeah. uh, of the MMA landscape and, and yeah, it probably has a little bit of a different uh, exposure there again on that first card. So I, I think from a coach's standpoint, it doesn't seem like it's going to be that much different competitively. So it's really just a matter of, are they comfortable getting punched in the face without gloves on? Probably. Yeah, I do wonder what the recovery time is like. For me, it's the it's the it's the hand breaking that's always a concern because uh, you don't you don't want people out too long. But it'll be interesting to see. I'm always up for diversifying combat sports, having more options out there for the fighters. So it's all good. Now we do have a fight tonight. Bellator is taking about two weeks off, which primes PFL for its big return. I'll let you kind of take the lead on this one. How are you feeling about PFLs? first card back in what feels like ages and especially headlining with Anthony Showtime Pettis. You know, PFL, I think it is very interesting to me because they do have this model that I think it, it's more sustainable than I think a lot of people want to give credit for. Uh, they, they really do have a lot of investors that are being patient with it. And the people who are in charge of it are very patient with what they're trying to do. Uh, to create this thing that is sustainable. Um, I, I, I like it because it is, it is a very clear path to that championship. You know, I'm a little frustrated with the fact that we're not getting the fights we're supposed to be getting in the UFC. Uh, you know, it, now we have guys like, let's say Anthony Pettis thinks he wants to get the championship. He wants to, he wants to win the million dollars. He wants to be the champion. It's in his hands. It's entirely in his hands. And it doesn't matter if he wins, like if he wins four fights in a row, He's the champion. That's all he's got to do, win four fights in a row. Uh, in the UFC, you could win nine fights in a row and not fight for the title. Yeah. doesn't matter who you fight. It depends on you know a lot of factors here. So I, I like that model. It's interesting to me. Uh, they do need to continue to build on that, get more stars, get more people involved. But you know, putting on another season right here, uh, they have a chance to show more people that, hey, we're not going anywhere. And they haven't. They've paid millions of dollars to these people, and they're still doing it. So... There's no doubts about that. I was watching Morning Combat right before this, and Luke Thomas made an apt point, which is, have you met a fighter or heard of a fighter with a bigger disparity between how much they're making and how well people know them than Lance Palmer? Because Lance Palmer is the kind of guy that you, even as a regular fight fan, you probably couldn't pick out of a crowd, yet he has won two consecutive million-dollar tournaments and is now you know, uh, fighting, I think... It's Marcin Held, if I'm not mistaken, for a potential third crack at a million dollars. Like, not everyone's going to win that tournament, but if you're good enough, man, talk about making a killing here. Because you got guys like Rory McDonald, Antonio Carlos Jr., Tom Lawler, who I'm not giving a whole lot of 
upside to just based on the fact that he's been splitting his time between pro wrestling so much. But like Lace T-Bow, like there are a number of fighters who never got in the UFC what they probably should have, especially in Roy McDonald's case, who now have a chance to just cash in big. I'll tell you someone who actually, you know, you're naming a bunch of guys who didn't really get their opportunities in, in the UFC. Alexei Konchenko mm-hmm. at welterweight. He was a hard luck cut uh, because he lost a couple decisions in the, the, when I was watching it, I realistically thought he won those fights. So for him to be cut loose, all he has to do is win two fights. Essentially. If, if you win two fights in PFL, uh, you're typically going to be in that top four range. So it doesn't matter if you win by decision or, or get, you get six points. If you win a first round uh, finish, you get three points. If you just get the win in the decision, right? If you win two, you're already in the semifinals and he's someone that interests me too. I, I do think it's nice that this is the opportunity for people like that, who, you know, maybe they, they're not the sexiest name, you know, you're, you're naming Lance Palmer. No one, like you said, not many, many people really know him. Nathan Schultz. I think a lot of people don't really, they're not familiar with him as well, but he's the two time defending champion that uh, Anthony Pettis is going to have to go through. So I, I like that. I, it, it just really excites me that there are opportunities for guys to, even if, they're not as well known. I'm I'm very much about like sport and MMA. Like I like mm-hmm. the spectacle too, but really I like it when it's about deciding who's the best. And you know, while we won't decide who's the best in the world in any of these, we'll decide who's the best among this group and they'll get rewarded for it. Yeah, I, I love that this is happening. I think 2020, 20, or 2021 is primed to be a really big year for promotions outside of the UFC. And you know, I'm under no impression that pfl one championship bellator are ever going to come close to sniffing the 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 level of the ufc in terms of you know the the overall depth of roster the viewership numbers but what's really important to me is if we are not going and maybe we will with this class class action lawsuit but if we're not close to seeing ufc fighters compensated fairly at the very least, what I want to see are platforms where these guys can go to smaller promotions and, and make money that they deserve. And that's something that, you know, I talked to Antonio Carlos Jr. a few weeks back. That was huge for him. Like, I, I'm under, under no impression that Bellator or PFL will ever be as big as the UFC. But I think they can get to a point where they can pay enough of these top guys enough money to have people at least more willing to test free agency and where their services are most needed. And I think that's, well, you know, the prelim guys on Bellator are also getting paid jack. At least we're trending in a direction where there are more options for a larger percentage of fighters. Absolutely. I like it too. I I think the more options for fighters, the better they need to be able to maximize their value. Um, Unfortunately, they don't know how to do that in some sort of organized way, but at the very least we, there are systems out there like this that are making it a little easier for them to, uh, play their value somewhere else. And it'll, it'll help individuals, but over time, it'll help everybody. All right. Are there any other uh, winners of the week you'd like to highlight before we move on, unfortunately for them, to the losers? You know, I, I think the biggest winner of the week for me was uh, John Lineker, mm-hmm. who looked awesome on Wednesday night when, when he got that uh, first-round uh, KO. I mean, it, was it a KO? I don't remember if it was a, it was a straight-on KO, but, I mean, it doesn't make the difference. He looked awesome. You know, same, same old John Lineker hands a stone, beating the body, and then finishing him off. Uh, and, you know, I, I'm interested to see if he fights uh, Bibiano Fernandez next. I like that fight. Oh, that'd be such a good fight. Uh, shout out to Bibiano, for, who uh, trains regularly out here in Vancouver. I am also interested uh, in seeing Eddie Alvarez get another chance next week. I'm, I'm glad that they figured out something for him. That's good to hear. A little, 
don't want to say disturbing, but a little just dis- a little disturbing that he's basically going to fight fight someone who went three hard rounds just this past Wednesday next week. That's yeah. a little shady to me, but what are you going to do, right? That's it's not, fight game. That's one championship for you. These things happen in MMA. Yeah, they do. But at least we got to see Eddie Alvarez back, so yes. that's that. Okay, guys, let's move on to the losers section. Quick reminder: subscribe, tap the notification bell, leave a thumbs up on the video. All small acts that go a long way. Got a bunch of really fun content you can check out over at the channel. UFC fighters reacting to street fights. Uh, Zane Simon of Bloody Elbow and I recently went through Jorge Masvidal's UFC career and ranked his opponents from best to worst. Lots of sort of -of out-of-the-box content there. Okay, now let me say, felt really good to have fans back. Um... The crowd was a little icky at the press conference, but, you know, (laughs) nonetheless, I'm, I'm thrilled for the uh atmosphere that it creates jorge was having fun kamar was having fun all well and good i don't want to be a debbie downer here but i'm gonna be because people have been talking so positively about having the fans back i can't help but shake off this concern that if and i'm saying it will i I know the ufc are taking some precautions but they're not mandating masks it's obviously going to be a full arena event what happens if this turns into a super spreader event? If, if if a ton of people come out of this in a week's time, 10 days' time, having contracted the thing that's spreading everywhere, what does that do for the UFC's subsequent plans? What does it do for the state of Florida? How, If you had to predict, and I'm not a health, profession, a health official here, how bad could this get in a worst-case scenario? Not saying that it would, but in a worst-case scenario. You know, I think the worst case scenario you'd be talking about from the UFC's perspective is that it starts to scare off commissions. That's that's mm-hmm. what they don't want. They don't want commissions to be like, listen, we can't sanction this. It's it's not a good look for us. Uh, and that's really, I think, all they care about. If if for some reason there are thousands of cases of COVID that come out of this and, and hospitalizations, things like that, I just don't imagine that's that big a priority for them because if people are talking about it, then they're talking about the UFC and hey. Mm-hmm it's still press. I don't know. I, that's kind of how I look at it from their perspective. I don't know how much they really care. If they cared, they wouldn't be doing it. Dana wouldn't be uh, calling out the media for, Hey, what's the media that we're putting all these, uh, these, you know, conditions in for these protocols and the bubbles and things like that. It's like, okay, well, you know, you have Hamza Chimaev who had COVID and you wanted to have him fight several times over the last mm-hmm. year. He's a very pivotal part of your Middle East strategy. You need him, and he got COVID, and it's really terrible. Do you want more people getting this? Khabib Nurmagomedov, his father died of this. This is awful. And because he's gone, it's it's essentially what he's saying is, my father's not here anymore. My mother doesn't want me to fight anymore. I'm not fighting anymore. Yeah. If that didn't happen, realistically, the man is still fighting, and you still have one of your most bankable stars. Now, I look at it as a human perspective. I'm pretty sure they just look at it as a bottom line. And from the bottom line, you don't want to lose people. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I, they don't change their minds. It's, it is what it is. Fair enough. I, I always get amused by the Dana White versus media thing. I don't take it as hard as I think some of my colleagues do. This is just Dana being Dana. What are you going to do? I, I did find it amusing, though, that for someone who often talks about how he couldn't care less about the media and what they think, he's now twisting the narrative to, oh, I was actually doing it for their sake. Whatever. It is what it is. Uh, you know, any given day. Yeah, any given <laughs> you hear day. It's, honestly, honestly, there's something... Uh, I don't want to say admirable, but I, I kind of like the chaos. I, I'm a, if I'm playing D&D, I'm a, I'm a chaotic good or a chaotic neutral kind of guy. So 
I'm all for the chaos. Okay, next point, and this has become a growing narrative of UFC 261's strawweight title fight between Zhang Wei Li and Rose Namajunas. Uh, the political angle. It's been done to death. Uh, Rose coming out with the it, it's better, you know, better red than better dead than red narrative. Zhang Wei Li, obviously the UFC's biggest star from China, a country in which she could not and cannot express her political opinions if they do differ from that of the government regime. What I find really weird about it, and I get that Rose is like, oh, you know what, it has nothing to do with Zhang Weili personally, I'm sort of amping myself up for the fight, everyone's my enemy, etc., is that, like, if you're talking about... Now, I do believe in some degree of, like, generational trauma, where, although Rose has not experienced this, people in her family have and, and that's something that she carries close to her heart but for me if, if Zhang Weili isn't someone who's expressly come out and said hey I am pro Chinese government isn't it weird to take the stance of hey my family and my lineage has suffered under a communist regime and I don't like you because you are currently stuck under a communist regime and if anything shouldn't there be more uh, of sort of like a sisterhood there that, hey, my family experienced something that you might be experiencing right now. I, that is one thing that I'm almost lost on is, is why there's not some sort of empathy that's mm-hmm. being expressed out of this because like you're saying, like she, she does know what the people under that regime would do. I mean, is <laughs> what, what can Zhang Weili do? She, she really can't do anything if she wants to or not, you know? And really, she hasn't kind of made that any part of her platform in the UFC. She's very much just tried to fight. You know, everything she says in English is, my name is Zhang Wei Li. Remember me. And that's, that's basically it. That's all we really hear from her. And I don't see why. I, the, only, the only thing I understand of this is that Rose is just looking for a reason to get up for it. She's looking for bulletin board material. You know, we see this in other sports. We see it in MMA. I think it's just real or perceived. You put something out there. I don't think she dislikes Wei Li, but you know, she kind of said what she said and doesn't seem, I don't know how much of the hubbub about this. She actually tunes into. Yeah. Like, I think we're all talking about it. And then, you know, she gets back to her and she's like, why are we talking about this? Like, I, I don't think she really is on social media in the same way. A lot of people are. Well, so. And so here's kind of my problem with it. And while, you know, I'll, I'll, Rose appears to be a very nice girl it seems like her and whaley aren't beefing over this too much and like you said the media and the fans are probably making more out of this than either rose or whaley are this is my issue with it even if rose doesn't think much of it listen there's a there's a chunk of the ufc audience that isn't the most enlightened uh culturally politically regardless of what uh, side of the what party lines you tow? I could tell from that press conference that there were some racist people there who were feeding off of this narrative that Rose started, and perhaps you know we as the media are perpetuating but perpetuating it by talking about it so much. But you got to be conscious when you have a platform and you say things, even if it doesn't mean that much to you. There are some bottom feeders out there who are going to hold on to that for dear life, and to see a, a champion as. Uh, respectful and as talented as Zhang Weili now have to deal with a portion of the audience who are now leaning into an anti-communist narrative around her. This kind of sucks for Zhang Weili, doesn't it? 
you know, I I was very concerned just in general, just just for not for our safety or anything like that, but just the fact that there's been a lot of uh, hate crime against, mm-hmm. you know, Asian. Oh, Asian tell, yeah, tell me about it. What a bad crime, time to come know? out it's, with this. It's such a terrible time for it. And I was I was worried about that being kind of the thing. And, you know, we were going to get people chanting at the event, you know, like, uh, you know, Chinese virus or something. like that. I just don't want to hear any of that. You know, look, you want to you want to chant USA. That's OK. I don't, there's, there's nothing wrong with having pride in your country, but I didn't want it to go there. And now, of course, we have this this other narrative. But, you know, to go back to kind of how Rose comes into us and whether whether she should know better, maybe or something like that. These people aren't media trained. Yeah. None of these fighters are media trained. And that's part of that is just because it's not a priority. But I think it's also in part by design, because you'll get fighters who will say things that are very interesting and it draws eyeballs. And it doesn't matter. Like I said before doesn't matter what the pub is you're still talking about them and yeah. you know as someone like uh the new york mets they don't want that negative attention on them because they have this brand and everything they've been around and, and they really want to keep a positive thing because there's so many sponsors and things the ufc doesn't concern themselves with that because the sponsors that have come over there they know what they're signing up for yeah all right last thing on the losers and and this is not so much about our ufc welterweight champion kamar usman so much as it is for me as a fan, but you had him coming out and saying that, hey, you know what? Uh, I'm starting to lap people at this point, and I don't know how much longer I'll be doing it. So basically, kind of going the Habib route and, and teasing uh, an impending retirement, I don't think we should be that concerned right now. I don't think it's as serious as perhaps the headlines are leading people to believe, but not only would that suck, because I think Kamar Usman is on his way. He's not there, but he's on his way to challenging George St. Pierre for that all-time GOAT welterweight status. But it's just not true. Like, there are interesting matchups still. He hasn't fought Leon Edwards. The rematch between Colby Covington, there's a huge appetite for. Uh, you've got Stephen Wonderboy, who's, you know, Stephen Wonderboy, if he beats Gilbert Burns, he should be there. You have Vicente Luque who is probably one fight away from contention. You have Michael Chiesa, who really deserves a top fight. And hey, if Nate Diaz somehow beats Leon Edwards, well, that's the fight to make from a money perspective. Like, what do you mean there's no one else? There's so many people for you to fight right now. Well, he did beat Leon very early in their careers. Yeah, that was, I believe, his second fight. It's been a long time, And, and even Kamaru think... has admitted that he has improved leaps and bounds. That was my toughest fights, and that he does deserve a rematch. Yeah, absolutely. The, the one thing that when I spoke to Kamaru... Uh, earlier this week i did ask him kind of about some of these other contenders who haven't had a crack at him before you know the luke's uh wonder boy and uh, and Chiesa as well he he did perk up about the idea of fighting luke who he considers to be a good friend uh, a former training partner uh, he really likes what he's been doing he respects what he's uh, the win he had over tyron woodley and i imagine that if anybody of kind of that group who's never been in the cage with him before I think you'd probably see Luke maybe get elevated. He may need another win. I don't know, but that's, he at least has the champ's attention. Uh, one thing he did say though, is he is not very interested in the wonder boy fight. Poor Basically. Wonderboy. <laughs> yeah. He's dismissing wonder boy as, you know, you already fought twice for the title. You couldn't beat uh, Tyra Woodley. Why should you get another shot again? Especially when he has not had the most active schedule in recent years. And I think that's a lot of the beef that he has is how active he's been. And Wonder Boy has not been. Ah, uh, man. One poor Wonder Boy gets so much slack, and it's not deserved. Like, he's bounced back in such a strong way. He was winning that Anthony Pettis fight until he got hit with a, a very unique shot. He's beat Vicente Luque. I was there, UFC 240. Were you there? I'm sure you must have been there, 244. Uh, no. I, which one was that? What year was that? Masvidal uh, Diaz. 
No, I was not there that year. Oh, we're so close, man. You're I know, I know. I, I wish I'd seen you there. I missed that one. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's I got the, the other ones in the garden. Yeah, he's got the Vicente Luque win there. And I don't think you can deny him if he beats Gilbert Burns. Like, Gilbert Burns, despite not lasting too long against Usman, had him hurt in that first round. I'd argue second toughest fight Usman has had in recent years behind the Colby Covington one. What do you make of the sentiment that uh, this is a design in which Stephen Wonderboy Thompson is not undeserving, but just too low reward, high risk for anyone? Because that has been a narrative around Wonderboy that you just never look good when you beat him. <laughs> I think that's that's another part of that too. The other thing Kamaru mentioned about Wonderboy was just if he was going to take a fight, and you know, this is there's some posturing here. You know, it's, if I'm going to take a fight like that. I'm going to need to be compensated. That his that was his word. Uh, so it sounds like what he is doing is saying, yeah, I'll take that fight. I'll take any fight. You just got to pay me enough. I, I love that more and more fighters at a high level are just bringing up the conversation of getting paid adequately. You know, rising, what is this thing? Rising tide lifts all boats. Or lifts like all that. boats. Perfect. Look at me. I, <laughs> I, I consume way more American television than like, like these... These phrases are not often ones that are, like, around my regular day life, and so I always confuse them. I'll say something like, egg on my face, and people look at me like, what on earth are you talking about? Yeah, yeah, we don't say that here. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> okay, um, let me see. I think that about does it for the losers. Are, is there anyone else that... Oh, actually, no, there is one more that I almost forgot. Uh, we'll do a two-in-one package here, because I don't want to go too long on it, but... Sad, sad, sad for us as fight fans. UFC president Dana White comes out and says that, hey, it's looking like it's going to be Francis Ngannou, Derek Lewis 2, a rematch in, in a highly anticipated rematch of arguably the worst heavyweight fight in UFC history, if not the worst fight, period. And that uh, Marvin Vittori is likely getting the next title shot against Israel Adesanya due to timeline issues with Izzy and Robert Whitaker. Quick thoughts? You know, uh... I don't like that it's Vittori next. Not that I dislike Vittori or think he's unworthy, but I just, I think we saw Robert Whitaker prove that he was worthy yeah. and that if they want to, I mean, they're saying timeline. Okay, fine. But I really, I'd rather see that fight than the Vittori fight. I think it's going to be more fun regardless. So the win, lose, or draw, it's going to be more fun. Vittori's fights, realistically, they're not always the most aesthetically pleasing. Talk about aesthetically pleasing or not. You know, you mentioned obviously Nganu and, uh, and Lewis too. That one, like you said, it was terrible, but, it's got nowhere to go but up at the very least. Yeah. It can only I do think be, it'll be better, better than that. I, I think it really will be better, not just because of by default. Um, we do want to see John Jones next, but realistically, Derek Lewis is the heavyweight, the active heavyweight that makes the most sense to fight him. So it's hard to get drastically mad about it from a competitive standpoint, you know, a sports standpoint, but John Jones should be next. It's it's the fight to make. The UFC is supposed to make the fights we want, make the fight. Yeah, I will say there's something admiring about Derek Lewis in which no matter how far you think he sinks, he always finds a way to get back to that <laughs> upper echelon title contention status. So I love that for him. If it if it's got to go to someone you know, on a personal level, very happy for Derek Lewis. But like I said, not the right fight. Plus, I don't know how much of this is. I guess it, it sounds like a lot of this is the UFC, and you, you've seen it based on their very compelling pay-per-view schedule really just trying to pump out big fight after big fight i don't know if there's an issue regarding 
how soon they can get Whitaker versus Adesanya to the Oceanic region. I feel like that's probably a part of it that isn't being talked about enough. I don't quite know what they're, what New Zealand and Australia are, are at right now in terms of letting people from other countries in. It's a really I, I would bet New Zealand has zero interest. It sounds like yeah. it's very hard to get get to and from there. <laughs> so that might have something to do with it, but I really would like to see Whitaker get that fight. Okay, well, let's move on very quickly to. UFC 261. We'll go for like five or six minutes. I don't want to keep you here too long. Okay. Is this Jorge Masvidal's last shot? He's up there in age. While he was relatively deserving of that first title shot, let's be honest, it was one, you know, right place, right time in terms of the short notice appearance, and two, star power. Star, star, star power takes you so far in the sport. If he can't be Kamar Usman... Do you see him getting a title shot ever again? In the UFC, no. Uh, you know, he has to beat Kamaru Usman unless Usman is to lose his next fight. And let's say it's Colby Covington, and then they want to put together Covington Masvidal for a title. That's It's going to take someone getting Usman out of the way. They're not going to give a third Usman Masvidal fight a chance because we won't buy it. I don't think we will. Yeah, and I don't foresee Usman losing that title for quite a while. I'm with you. Next up, um, Valentina Shevchenko. Where does she go with a win from here? For me, Jessica Andrade, I know for a lot of other people, is like the most compelling Shevchenko fight we have had in ages. It's someone who you can actually believe, if not beat Valentina, put up an interesting fight. We're talking about someone like Lauren Murphy next. Lauren Murphy, if she wins her next fight, very much deserving of that opportunity. But I think all anyone wants to see at this point is Valentina versus Amanda 3. What would you do with Valentina Shevchenko if she beats Jessica Andrade impressively? I think if you asked Valentina, her goal would be to fight more flyweights. She, when I spoke to her this week, we actually I asked her a little bit more about, you know, are you interested in in a fight with uh, Amanda Nunes? And she's kind of of the mind that if the opportunity comes up, she would take it, but it's not something she's chasing or pushing for. Seems like she's mentally moved on from that, and she feels ownership of this flyweight class as being her division, the one that was always right for her. And she couldn't really compete in because if she wanted to get to the UFC at the time, she had to fight a bantamweight. She had to fight up. And she seems to feel very protective of the fact that this is enough. You don't need more than this. I'm good with it. In kind of the same way Khabib was okay with 155 pounds. And you love to see it. I think the the double champ thing, the, the champ versus champ thing, it's fun. But as much as Israel Adesanya is one of my favorite fighters, for the sake of the middleweight division, I think it's best that he lost that Jan Blachowicz fight. And it does nothing. Like, you, you, when you really think about it, like Conor McGregor, two-division champion, obviously huge from a fan, favorite aspect. But do we consider him among the best of the best of the best? No, because he never, he never even successfully defended a title, right? We think about the Anderson Silvas, the George St. Pierre's. Now we're leaning into the Valentina Shevchenko's, Amanda Nunez's, um, Kamar Usman. Kamar Usman's, who have built a legacy in one division. Like that goes a way longer way for you in terms of your long term reputation, success in the sport, and this whole jumping up and down the ladder thing. And look, if it makes sense, there was a time where like Anderson Silva versus George St. Pierre made all the sense in the world. More often than not, these things don't make sense. So I love that there are people like Valentina Shevchenko out there who are happy to just be the greatest flyweight of all time. And, dude, you think of people like, you know, Amanda Nunes is the rare exception who's managed to succeed in both divisions. But I can't think of a champ champ who's 
sniffing the goat conversation. Isn't that weird? You know, I, I mean, I can't either, but I, I think part of that is just because the the wrong people kind of got mm-hmm. there. You know, the, Daniel Cormier, amazing fighter, fantastic fighter, but he will always be the guy who lost to John Jones those times. Yeah. It doesn't matter that they took away one of them. We know what we saw, and and we know what we saw the first time too. I think everybody kind of agrees that John Jones is just the better fighter, uh, and that is going to always hurt. If you want to be considered the GOAT, you can't beat the guy that other people are calling the GOAT. Yeah. It's not going to work. 100%. Last thing for you, Scott. Personally, which fight do you think has the biggest stakes, the most important title implications between Usman Masvidal to Rose versus Whaley and Shevchenko Andraj? Uh, I think it's definitely got to be the the welterweight fight because mm-hmm. we're talking about you know, a chance for Masvidal to really take himself to the next level as a potentially you know certified star and not just you know someone who's chasing the money at this point. And then you've got on the other side you've got Kamar Usman who he, if he wants to build his legacy. If he wants to be considered one of the greatest of all time, he's got to keep going. He's got a lot more work to do if he's going to catch George St. Pierre. And you can't just keep losing. George St. Pierre lost too. Let's face it, that happened. But, you know, he's got more to lose. If he can keep going, it looks a lot better. I, I do want, I agree with you. I do want to give a supplemental nod to the Strawway title fight. And it doesn't have anything to do with Zhang Weili or Rose Namajunas. It's just that division as a whole. Like, when you hear the names Joanna, Whaley, Rose, Andrade when she was in that division, like, Strawweight has cro- carved out this niche of being just one of the most exciting action-packed divisions at the higher end. And while it's often not the headlining spot in a card, it's often, like, the hardcore fan's favorite. And I think there's a building appetite for that stuff when you can put it under someone like Masvidal or Connor, where you're exposing a casual audience to just how vicious and fun these women's strawweights are. So I think there's a huge opportunity for them. And I can't think of anyone who said that this is going to be a boring fight. Oh, heck no. It's going to be fun. I'm my, my favorite fight of last year was most definitely Zhang and, and, uh, you know, Jay check. And I don't think this can top it. I just, that's too high a bar. But I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Every time Rose gets in there with high-level women, it is, it's just fireworks, and I'm excited for that. And here we are at the end of our run. Scott, first and foremost, I want to thank you so much for doing this. It's been a lot of fun. I'm glad we finally nailed it down. Uh, you got everything here in terms of your graphics, but please let people know where they can find you and all the great work you're doing. Yeah, you can you can find my work at uh, nypost.com slash sports. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Scott underscore Fontana. And I'm close to 1,000 followers, so if you want to give me a couple follows, that'd be fun. I'm, I'm okay with that. Love it. As for me, find me on Twitter at Shaq underscore Foo, Shaq with a K. You can see it there. You guys know what's up. Please, please, please hit subscribe, tap the notification bell. That goes a long way. The numbers are ticking up. We're starting to... I'm not going to say names. We're trying to slowly surpass some other MMA channels, but it's very nice to see. Thank you guys so much for that. Uh, If you like this show and you want to catch it every week, the best way you can help us out, go to FightfulSelect.com. That is our Patreon. You'll get the show every week. Small subscription fee. Makes a good impression on the bosses for moi, so thank you for that. Most importantly, enjoy UFC 261. We'll have you covered all week long over at Fightful.com, FightfulMMA.com. Time for that terrible, terrible outro of mine. Stay tuned for everything fightful and so delightful. Peace out.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.